Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor so Vinny. The biggest differentiator for Theory is we work specifically with seven and eight figure female entrepreneurs. And we take a holistic approach to the business owner balance sheet. So by that, I mean, when we take on an entrepreneur, historically with financial advisors, they would ignore the business as an asset on the balance sheet. We take a very invested interest in making sure that business owners are optimizing the value of that business. So we like to help our clients optimize the value of the business, therefore optimizing their personal net worth. And then, as you mentioned, helping them build an exit plan. Some of them want to build to sell. Others have lifestyle businesses where they see themselves working to and through retirement. In both cases, eventually you're going to part ways with your business. And so you need to be prepared to do that, whether you're running a lifestyle company or more of an enterprise company. So we bring a lot of intention to the personal planning process. And the reason why we do that is because in my former career with UBS Financial Services, I worked with hundreds of business owners and a lot of them would come to me in their 60s and they'd say, I'm so tired. I want to get out of this and I want to retire. And I'd have to tell them that they didn't have a choice. They couldn't do that. And it was through a lack of knowledge and access to the right advice which could have been avoidable if they had access to that knowledge, as you mentioned, at the start earlier in their careers. So my mission with Theory is really to bring access to financial advice to entrepreneurs earlier in their entrepreneurial journey. All right. Now I'm going to probably, I mean, I have to ask the question, right? Do you really like working with women or just really dislike working with men? <laughs> That's a good question. Well, I don't dislike men. I'm married to a man. So, um, and also, as I mentioned to you before the show started, I was an ice hockey player. So I've spent the majority of my life in male-dominated spaces, um, including finance, which was extremely male-dominated. I had a tough experience in wealth management specifically. I went through a tremendous amount of sexual harassment, starting with my first week in the industry. And I was 24 years old and I was sexually harassed by a 68 year old man who had a history of sexually harassing interns, assistants, women. Um, and so that kind of ruined my initial experience in wealth management. I did end up reporting him and he did get fired. He threatened me not to speak up or say anything and said that no one would believe me. Um, but it turned out that there was evidence supporting my claim and there were other women who had come before me. So that was a pretty traumatic experience. I had never gone through anything like that in my life, in the two years I was in the corporate world and certainly nothing before that. Um, and then ended up having to file five more sexual harassment complaints in three years while I was with UBS. So that was really, I wasn't expecting that out of my career. I think I graduated college in 2013. I played ice hockey in college. Like I just always grew up with this fundamental belief that 
I could do anything that a man could do. And then I got into the corporate world and realized how far behind women are and how they're really not treated as equals. And in so many ways, like for me, it was explicit with the sexual harassment, but for a lot of women, it's getting passed over for promotions or not being invited to golf, that kind of stuff. Um, So that put a sour taste in my mouth in terms of um, the industry and how it's still an old boys club. And then the other thing is, as I mentioned, I worked with hundreds of clients. I worked with over 300 clients when I was in my role as a planner and they were all men. So I never, and I was an extremely ambitious, still am an extremely ambitious woman who wants to build an awesome career and to never come across a self-made woman after doing 300 financial plans was really disappointing to me. And so I felt like, is it because they're not out there or is it because they're not being served? And so when I left UBS and started my company, I first had to find out the answer to that, like if they were out there. And it turns out they are out there and they are extremely underserved. And so Theory's mission is to bring all of the knowledge that I have from private wealth management to women who otherwise wouldn't have access to that. Because when I was in private wealth, you needed to have a liquid net worth of $10 million in order to get access to our advice. And I just felt like that's there's so many missed opportunities for women who are building great businesses to be able to build personal wealth just because of that threshold. So, so we, we charge on a flat fee. We do not do an assets under management fee. That's a big differentiator for us as well. Well, let's rewind. I mean, who was a, a young Caitlin uh, before got into the corporate world? I mean, I guess before she got into hockey, I mean, was she just a go-getter, <laughs> hungry to to learn? I mean, lung, hungry about basically entrepreneurship. Who was a young Caitlin? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, young Caitlin, I've been playing hockey since I was seven years old. So I started out in figure skating and my brother was a hockey player and I was just like, wow, hockey looks way more fun than figure skating. And at the time, no girls really played hockey, but I felt like this is something I'm interested in. And like, why, why not? Like, why not me? So I've kind of always, I think since I came out of the womb, felt like, why not me? I can do anything that I put my mind to. Um, And hockey took me on a really awesome journey. I ended up sending myself to boarding school, (laughs) which was really funny because I wouldn't even go to sleepaway camp because I was such a homebody. So how I got the courage at 13 to send myself to boarding school, I don't know. But I'm somebody who I had a vision that I wanted to play hockey in college and I was going to do whatever it took to get there. And so that's kind of innate in my wiring. And I also recently learned about myself. Have you ever taken the Enneagram? No. Okay. So the Enneagram is a it's like a personality test. And so I'm an Enneagram three. And so my subconscious wiring is to achieve. Like I need to be successful and failure is like a tough thing for me to swallow. So, which has been really awesome as an entrepreneur, right? Because failure is just part of the process. And it's funny because when I first got into the corporate world, I never envisioned myself becoming an entrepreneur. I thought I was going to be like 
a Greek corporate soldier rise up the ranks, hopefully eventually into a management position. And I just kind of always saw myself there. And then, I don't know, this whole, I, I went through that horrible experience. And then I went through an, a series of partnerships that didn't work out for various reasons. And it was actually my husband who pointed out to me, he was like, why do you feel like you need to keep being in partnerships? Like you just need to own your own power, your own credentials, your own knowledge and go out there and bet on yourself. So um, he was the one who really pushed me to to start theory. Um, so I don't know if that answered your question, but that's a little more about me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, where do you where do you see that that need to succeed? Where does that come from? Is have you dived deeper to find out where that that drive comes from? Well, I think um, I've always been competitive. I mean, sports was just a huge part of my life for so long. And with the Enneagram, you learn that there are nine different types and we're all wired different ways. So for example, my mom is a two, so she's the helper. So she feels that she receives love and acceptance by helping people. I feel I receive love and acceptance by achieving great things, which probably has a little bit to do with me being the oldest of three as well. I always felt like I needed to be responsible and I needed to set the bar for my siblings. So that probably plays into it. Um, and, and learning that about myself has been really interesting because the weakness for threes is you can still be loved and just be yourself. You don't have to always achieve these great things to be worthy. So we each, each number has its own orientation with, positives and negatives and learning. I think just being an entrepreneur and increasing my self-awareness has not only benefited me as a business owner, but also just as a person. And I'm a new mom as well. I have a one-year-old and I have a baby on the way. And it's really cool as a parent to watch my son who's trying to learn how to walk. And I feel like I'm trying to learn how to walk in business. Like every day, I'm coming across challenges and learning something new and I have to be brave and try again and try again. And so it's cool to watch my son because he's kind of going through the same thing. And so it's great to feel like, you know what, I have to keep doing this because I, I need to be a role model for my son. When did you start to understand um, the idea that it's, you don't need to succeed to still be loved, that it's okay to kind of fall a couple times? Oh man. I think I'm still working through that. Mm. I think that's kind of an ever, because it's a subconscious thought, it's always there. Of course, I can consciously think, yes, I'm still worthy if I don't go out and do something great, but it's more on the subconscious level that, and to a certain extent, it's awesome. Like a lot of entrepreneurs are threes and they do go out and build great things. But I certainly do try to, make time for things like meditation and not working all the time and, you know, enjoying my weekends with my family. Because one thing that, that threes can do in particular is they have like a constant to-do list. Mm -hmm. And so each number has an orientation to the future, the present or the past threes are oriented towards the future. So it's like, I'm always thinking about the future. And um, as I mentioned to you before we started the show, Vinny, I went to 
Eckhart Tolle with my mom on Saturday night. And his whole thing is about living in the present and outside of work. My work is so finance heavy. Um, I love reading personal development books and spiritual books and just going and seeing Eckhart on Saturday night. It was so soothing and calming to hear him talk about just living in the present and how the future doesn't actually exist. Like it's practical for planning, but it doesn't actually exist. It's just an iteration of now. So I think that's why they call it a practice because you have to practice living in the present, but especially if you're a number that's oriented towards the future. Yeah. It's a, it's a balance of uh, planning for the, the future and living in the present. I mean, it's definitely that balance going Going back to, I guess, your journey, when you talked about that you went to the corporate world, the, um, you had some sexual harassment items that came about, issues that came about. How how long of a period of time, and I think you might have already said it, you had a couple, I think it was five or six, over a, a window of time. From 2015 to 2018. Okay, so over three years. And in that window of time, I mean, were you thinking about starting your own company with those partnerships? Was it, I'm going to stick through it? I mean, maybe at a different company, it might be better. Or what did that look like? That's that's a good question. Um, so one thing that's, that's important about that timing is that it was before the Me Too movement. Mm. So when this happened to me, I felt like it was only happening to me. Like, I didn't realize that there were thousands and thousands and thousands of women that also had this experience. And I also didn't talk about it for a really long time. So I didn't really start talking about it openly until last year. Mm -hmm. And I, because it was just, I didn't know what to do with it. It was like such a traumatic experience, but I realized that it's not, even though it's part of my story, it's not really about me. It's about the changes that need to be made on a systemic level. And when it happened to me, I felt extremely alone, embarrassed, like rehearsed things like, could, what could I have done better? But it's like, I couldn't have done anything better. I, I went to work and I tried to do my job and, you know, they're the ones that are out of line. And I say to women all the time, like there's, I reported all these cases. I reported the first one for myself didn't say anything for about a year after that, even though I put up with more inappropriate behavior because I didn't want to get a reputation for being sensitive or being hard to work with. So even though I was still dealing with inappropriate behavior, I didn't report it. And then a year later, an assistant came to me and she found out that I reported the first guy, which I was really upset about because there's no way she should have known. But she found out and she thanked me and she said that that guy had tortured her for years. Wow. And when she shared that with me, I realized that's when I realized that it wasn't about me. It was about all the women, like the women who have come before me, the women who are coming after me. I started seeing younger women get hired into the office and I felt this need to protect them. And so I filed the other five, not just for myself, but for all the other women around me. You know, and so I could start a paper trail in case any other woman wanted to pour. Um, so it was, I feel like I did a lot of legwork before the Me Too movement even happened. Um, but it was really exhausting. It was emotionally exhausting. 
it was time consuming um, and, and just frustrating because it wasn't what I was there to do. I was there to do my job. So you're you're doing your job. You're fighting for for yourself and all these other women. What does that look like? Is it is it lawsuits against that against that company? Is it just putting a paper trail together? I mean, what did they actually look like? So in this case, it was contacting HR and letting them know what had happened. I was really lucky because I had an awesome manager. And so every time I went to the manager and told him what happened, he told me to report it to protect myself and others. So it wasn't anything legal, but for each incident that happened, I went to HR, told them what happened. Fortunately, in every case, the man admitted to what he had done or said. Um, so my cases were corroborated and, um, you know, not all of them got fired, but there was a paper trail in case they continued with behavior like that. And other women said something, then they would be documented cases, which would build a bigger case for potentially termination. Then what happened at the end of year three? So I think it was 2018, right? Was the end of it? Okay, yes, so I, I transitioned from a wealth planning analyst into a financial advisor yeah. and um, had a partnership. And that partner ended up sexually harassing me on business trips. And so I ended that partnership and ended up moving back up to the Northeast um, because at that time I was down in Louisiana and I just felt like I didn't want to be there anymore. I was so far from home and culturally just exhausted from the way that they treated women. So moved back home, joined a, I was working in private wealth as an advisor down in Louisiana, um, joined a private wealth team up here in Boston. And then that team left and started an RIA registered investment advisor. And so when I, I left UBS with them, I felt like at that point it was just, toxic for me to stay at UBS. I just had so much resentment for my experience there. Um, and so that team really introduced me to this independent channel and what it would look like to be my own business business owner. Um, but logistically, that firm was like so far away from where I was living and it wasn't, wasn't a great fit for me on multiple levels. So I ended up leaving there and co-founding a firm with a former colleague and we focused, that's when I got my SEPA designation, Certified Exit Planning Advisor designation. And I knew I wanted to work specifically with business owners. And then um, that business partner got a great opportunity. And I realized that I really wanted to focus specifically on women. So we had an amicable parting of ways. And I started theory after that. <clears throat> what did that look like? So you're, you're bouncing around, you're going through these struggles. And then to have, I guess, the empower, I mean, you're having a child too, I think at, at that time or, or close to at least pregnant. Mm -hmm. Now, was it strictly on your, on your husband or your, um, at that time that was like giving you that push? Was it internal push? Was it family push? Was it a mentor? I mean, cause dealing with all that kind of stuff, it seems like you had to have some people in your corner to really give you the empowerment to start your own business. I mean, what was it? Yeah, I, it's funny because one time I was studying at, um, 
there was an inn at my college and I was sitting there studying and this old man came up to me and he just, he just goes make sure you marry the right guy. And then he just walked away. And at the time I was dating my college boyfriend and it like just shook me to my core because I knew that my college boyfriend wasn't the person that I was supposed to be with. And when he said that to me, I just, it became so clear. I was like, I need to break up with my college boyfriend. And I never forgot that that man said that to me and um, ended up with my now husband. And I couldn't agree more. The partner that you choose in life is just so incredibly important. And I think Warren Buffett has also said something along those lines about how important your partner is. But I could not have made made it through any of this without my husband, Jake. I mean, he has just been the steadfast rock in my life. And it's funny, he was an awesome baseball player and he was a great hitter. He hit 398 his senior year in college. And you can tell because he's just steady and he just handles every situation like so even keeled. And when I was going through all this, I was just all over the place, you know, and I'm so grateful to him because he's just always so measured. Um, and he was through all of those really hard circumstances I was going through, which was frustrating at times because sometimes I really wanted him to be super emotional and people I'd share what happened to me and people would be like, Oh, he probably wanted to kill them. And I'm like, well, he didn't really show it if he did, but he's so solutions oriented and he really has just always been my rock. So I give almost hundred percent credit to him, not only for helping me through my twenties and through those incredibly difficult times, but also always believing in me, always seeing my vision and really providing the stability for me to launch theory and do it in a way that was high quality and intentional and not just like a money grab with no solid foundation. So and he's in business development, so he gets it. He gets the long game. And for not being an entrepreneur, he really understands the entrepreneurial world very well. So um, I would say he's been the biggest part of my life. But I also really miss the stability of family when we were living in New Orleans because it, he was on the road 10 to 15 days a month, and I was alone a lot. And family is super important to me. So after that first failed partnership, I got a lot of clarity that I spent a lot of time thinking like, I wish I was back in Boston. I wish I was back in Boston. And I was like, why don't we just go back to Boston? So family is really important to me too. And I certainly feel the comfort of being around my parents and my brother and sister. Um, So I've been always really lucky to have a super strong and supportive immediate family. Um, And then I just married a great guy on top of that. In building a theory, I mean, what are some things, and I mean, there's probably a decent amount of things that you didn't know uh, when you first started that you picked up and you go, oh, I wish I would have known this before I started. Oh, man. <laughs> Where do we start? <laughs> um, well, the nice thing about the the partnership that I had before I started theory was it was great for me because I kind of got to dip my toes into entrepreneurship and see like what I wanted to spend money on and what I didn't. 
Um, and so when I started theory, I was pretty conservative cash flow wise and with my projections. So that was really helpful. But I think I can tend to be a bit perfectionist. And if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you just have to be willing to take steps and get feedback and learn. And that was a muscle that I've had to build over the last two to three years. I'm actually in an entrepreneurship class right now, and they were explaining the difference between managerial thinking and entrepreneurial thinking. And with managerial thinking, there's a plan and you you learn and then act. And with entrepreneurs, it's like the exact opposite. There's no plan. It's small steps and you act to learn. So I came from a super corporate background and I'm kind of a perfectionist by nature. And I've had to learn how to build that entrepreneurial muscle. And again, going back to the three, like threes hate failure, but failure is so essential to being successful as an entrepreneur. And you have to be willing to do trial and error. And so it's really like my first year of business was pretty stagnant. I didn't grow that much, but that's because I was in this perfect little box of this is how I want it to go and I'm not going to budge. And it's just like, if you want to be successful, you have to start taking those steps. You have to start putting yourself in positions of potential failure, putting yourself out there, going on podcasts, like not everything is going to be perfect. You just have to start. And so that mentally has been the biggest thing that I've had to learn over time more than like the cash flow or anything like that, which obviously is important, but I feel like the majority of success for entrepreneurs is, is mental. Yeah. You, you fail forward. I mean, that's such a huge thing, huge, huge thing right there. I mean, if we're talking about kind of growing, expanding and building your business, I mean, where do you see your business in the next five years? That's so funny that you ask because I, I really thought that I was going to build a more of like a lifestyle practice where I would work with a small amount of clients. Um, but I'm, as my friend says, you don't, you don't seek demand, you channel demand. And mm -hmm. so I'm, the more I speak about this and get in front of female entrepreneurs, I'm, I'm seeing the demand and I'm channeling the demand. So I've actually just made the decision that we're going to grow theory. So it's not just going to be me. I actually spoke with a CFO yesterday about the revenue hurdles we need to get to before I can bring on an ops person and then an associate planner, which again, I never saw myself being an entrepreneur. I never saw myself growing a firm. Um, and so things change all the time, but five years from now, I'd love to be serving as many women that want to work with us, but also importantly, hiring women like my younger self who may have been stifled, not just like through sexual harassment, but maybe through career opportunities at a major firm or want work-life flexibility. So like I would love for theory to not only be a great place for clients, but a great place for employees as well and to try to spread our mission as far and wide as it wants to be received i mean being that you've worked with so many women entrepreneurs and women business owners i mean where do you see that the divide from men entrepreneurs men business owners and compared to women and why because i know you brought it up previously that you didn't realize that there were a lot of women business owners entrepreneurs out there i mean 
are, is it just not that many? Is, are they just lost in the shuffle? I mean, do they need that the helping hand? I mean, what have you seen? So the majority of female entrepreneurs have businesses that gross less than a million. Mm. Whereas, so in that upper echelon, like middle markets, it's 99% men. We're just finally getting to a generation where it's more common to see women running multi-seven and eight-figure companies that they started, not just inherited. Mm. So if I did come across an eight-figure business owner, typically her dad ran it or her husband ran it and she took over. But now we're in this generation where women are starting these companies. They're tech savvy. They know how to build funnels and email, like email campaigns. And the barrier to entry is lower now to become an entrepreneur. So, so many of these women are able to build these awesome, massive companies and employ other people, but that's still really new. It's only in the last few years that technology has enabled entrepreneurs to be able to be at home and make millions of dollars. Um, so I definitely see a lot of women taking advantage of this shift towards technology. And I think that's been a huge um, tailwind for an increase in female entrepreneurs. But again, the majority of female entrepreneurs, I think it's like 80% or maybe even higher than that gross less than a million a year. So we're, it's still very heavily weighted towards men, particularly in middle market or above. Thank you, Caitlin, uh, for, for being on the, the road to growth podcast today. If maybe one of those women that you're talking about is listening right now and is looking to take their business uh, to the next level and figure out, I mean, where they can take their life to the next level. I mean, what's the best way of them getting more information about you and, and your company? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm very accessible on LinkedIn. You can feel free to drop me a message. I'm Caitlin Carlson on LinkedIn. And then um, my email is caitlin.carlson at theoryplanning.com. You can feel free to email me anytime. And my website is theoryplanning.com. And all that information is in the show notes. So go in the show notes and you'll get all of Caitlin's information. I'm going to finish it off with this last question, Caitlin. Okay. If you could give a talk to your younger self, that person that was working in corporate world that was being sexually harassed uh, and thought they were the loan. I mean, is there any advice or words of wisdom that you give to them? Um, I would say meditate sooner because if I had given myself space to get quiet and really listen to my intuition, um, I think that it would have helped me avoid a lot of painful situations versus jumping from burning platform to burning platform. I always think that getting quiet, you'll get the answers. And so even though like as entrepreneurs, we're always doing, it's really important to, to sit and stop and be, and a lot of clarity will come from that. I mean, thank you, Caitlin, again, for, for being here today. I think for everyone listening, I mean, there's so many, so many great nuggets that Caitlin threw out there. I mean, I, I know for myself, I mean, that, that level three is something probably I resonate with. Uh, mm -hmm. And it, it, it takes time, I think, for you to come to that realization that it's okay to fail. And once you figure that out, that it's okay to fail, uh, it's going to be so empowering for you. So anyone listening right there, if today, if yesterday was a bad day because you failed big time, well, the bigger you failed, all it is is just 
the more money or more time you spent on a class that, that you did, right? So just learn from that mistake and, and go forward and figure out, I mean, you have someone in your corner, just like Caitlin has her husband in his in her corner. I mean, you have someone in your corner. They might be quiet. It might be that old man that Caitlin talked about just <laughs> randomly telling her, hey, you got to make sure you find the right guy. Whoever it is, there's someone out there that wants you to succeed. Find that person, be open to that person and allow them to, to give you the positivity that you might need. Thank you guys for listening. Please subscribe, please share and go in the show notes and find Caitlin. Bye everyone. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.